oh my god, this podcast is so bad that it's gone past good and back to bad again. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on movies that are out of style, out of date, obscure, forgotten, underappreciated, or whatever. I am once again your host, James Eldred, and who do I have joining me for today's episode? Hi, my name is Maddie Kopp. Hey, Maddie, thanks for joining me. Um, why, before we start, why don't you tell people about yourself? Um, I'm I'm an independent artist. I'm on other podcasts sometimes i've been on like talking simpsons and retronauts and i'm just kind of i guess a artist slash nerd slash soon to be english teacher in japan hey all right i know i can tell you all about that um (laughs) when have you been able you still can't come here i would imagine nope we're we're hoping by the end of the year at this point all right gambare Thank um, you. <laughs> where, where, where in if you don't if you don't want to say you don't have to, but what part of Japan do I think you'll end up in? I'll be up in Totori, the oh, least okay. populated prefecture. Yeah, but you, if you learn the Japanese equivalent of BFE, let me know what it is. <laughs> I will. because <laughs> yeah. that's that's what that that's where you're going. Cool, because I live in I literally live in the middle of Shinjuku. So, oh my goodness, complete opposite. Complete opposite. So, why do you want to go to Totori? Oh, it was just that was picked for me. I didn't oh, get to okay. choose, but I'm also really excited about it because I like small towns. Yeah, I would love to like spend like if I could just go to a small town in Japan for like a month or something, you know. But like, I don't know how it'd be possible. Also, like, I'm a giant, so like, <laughs> it's hard enough in Shinjuku. I'm six and a half feet tall. So, oh my goodness, yes <laughs> i i have I have been with people that tall in Japan, and uh, we lost count of how many times our friend hit his head. Yeah, when 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 Bob was here, Bob Mackey was here. It, that was a problem, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it it it's it's not fun, but you know it is what it is. You make up, you know, sir. I hit my head everywhere, but I got I got affordable health care now. So oh, if I yeah. do get a con- yeah, if I do get a concussion, then I'll be, I can go to the doctor. So you know. What a Kinda what a world! <laughs> yes, but we're not here to talk about the pros and cons of living in Japan. We are here to talk about Ghost World, the two thousand and one. How do you Terry Zigoff? Zigoff? Something Wygoff? like that. Don't yeah, ask Terry Zigoff. <laughs> Terry Zigoff. Daniel Close, independent film based on a comic book by by Close, starring uh, Thora Birch, Scarlett Johansson, and Steve Buscemi. Now, this was an interesting one for this podcast because I had never seen this movie until you recommended it. And why did you want to talk about Ghost World? Well, it's it's one of my favorite movies. Um, that and that's that's pretty much it. And it's I guess you know not a lot of people know about it, even though it's it's you know well regarded. And at least in like the comic book world, you know people know about it. But outside of that, 
even though it has, you know, big stars like Scarlett Johansson and Stevie Semi, it's still just, I don't know. It's a little underappreciated, I think. Yeah, I think when it came out, like it did okay, okay business for the kind of movie it is. If you look, I, I looked up Box Office Mojo and it was the 155th highest grossing film of 2001. Uh, wow. Putting it, putting it right between One Night at McCool's, I have no idea what that is, and <laughs> The Omega Code 2. <laughs> which My goodness. Is a Christian fiction film with uh, Casper Van Dien. It oh, did. Goodness. It out. It outgrossed uh, State in Maine, which was, you know, a pretty, well, that's a good uh, David Mamet film. And it outgrossed um, Monkey Bone. So, Oh, interesting. And Bubble Boy. <laughs> wow. Oh, and, and Glitter. It did better than Glitter. So, hey, it has that I don't even it. I don't even know what that is. Oh, Glitter, Glitter is the Mariah Carey Vanity Project. Oh, one of those. Okay. Oh, it's bad. It's it's not even <laughs> so sure. bad. It's good. It's, it is so bad. Oh. It's good. And how they say in in Ghost World, so bad. It's good. It goes back to bad to back again. Like yeah. <laughs> this goes back to back again, like a thousand times over. Like it's it's Oof. just when you think it might get it gets good again because it's so bad. But then oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> keeps going but anyway no this is a better film than glitter uh yeah i like i said i had never seen it and i i kind of always wanted to because it is kind of in my wheelhouse of like 90s it came out in 2001 but it's it's a very 90s feel i feel definitely and, yeah kind of that era of indie film and so i decided yeah that sounds like a good idea and I, and i and i sat down to watch it and and i also read the comic and okay um, I was really surprised with just how, for me anyway, like it's a fantastic movie and it's, it's, it's so much to talk about it. And also at the same time, it kind of pissed me off sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm kind of, we'll get to that later, but it, it is, I feel it is such a good portrayal of a certain time in your life. Definitely. I generally, I like coming of age films. I just they appeal to me for some reason and i think this is one of the best ones and it's definitely more relatable for kind of outcast nerds and i think it does a it's a, it's a good portrayal of it it's not like condescending or demeaning no no and we haven't you know in case people haven't seen it uh, it is about two you know women who just got out of high school enid played by thora birch and rebecca played by scarlett johansson and kind of kind of how they negotiate that really awkward part of your life. And they get involved with an older guy. Not in a skeezy. Well, kind of skeezy. Not that skeezy. Skeezy. <laughs> in, <laughs> in a, a different way. In a, in, a, in a pathetic way. Yes. It's, yeah. It's in a, let's say, a complicated way. That's not, that's not predatory or gross. That's a good right. way to put it. With a guy named Seymour, played by Steve Buscemi. One of his best. Everyone in this movie is amazing. Like I know he's he's definitely one of my favorite actors, which is another reason I love this so much. But in this role, he's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Everything about the movie, like from a casting, writing, direction, like everything on it is just it's so well made, and it has such a tight vision of the world it wants to make. Yeah, and how it wants to show it. That's like super impressive. Have you have you seen any other of of Zwigloff's films? I, it's funny because I had seen Art School Confidential for some reason. 
Um, <laughs> and do you like that movie? I it's funny because I don't think I've seen it. I was like, I thought I might have, and I know I plan to. But then when I was like looking at it and reading about it, I was like, I don't think I actually ever watched this. Okay, no, I've only I've only seen Crumb, his documentary on um, um, Robert Crumb, and then. I haven't seen Bad Santa, which is like probably his most well-known film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I saw Crumb. It's funny. I haven't seen... I saw Crumb this week. i never seen it. And I was like, well, I should probably see that because I'm talking about this. And also, like, it's supposed to be one of the greatest documentaries of all time, whatever. So, I should watch that. <laughs> But I and I haven't seen Bad Santa. I saw Art School Confidential. I hate that movie. Oh my Abs- goodness! <laughs> absolutely, like absolutely hate it. And it 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 is it is like it has all the style of Ghost World. Like it's a cool. It has a very distinct vision of the world he's creating, but it's just not funny. Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah, when I like when I look at it, it seems almost like a sequel or something it seems very similar in theme i don't was it based on a comic book or is it totally it's based on like a one-page comic or like a really short comic like <laughs> even even because like uh ghost world's based on a comic but they they take drastic liberties with it sure and this one they just greatly expand upon it and you know, it has it has some good jokes in it, and like John Malkovich is great in it. He plays this oh, like well. I mean, it's John Malkovich, so <laughs> yeah, he plays like this shitty, like full of himself person, and and Jonathan Houston's good in it. But it's just, I think I'm not a huge fan, especially now. I will I will probably hate that movie even more now because I'm not a big fan of dark comedy. Um, as the world got darker. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, definitely no. I understand that. It's like I'm already depressed. I don't want to. I want to watch something that makes me happy, please. Yeah, which is why I never saw Bad Santa. Okay. It was just like it looked too like like edge lordy. Like, uh, it's a bad Santa Claus. Like, oh, we get it, man. I, I get it. You're <laughs> it's, cooler it than seems me. like it's yeah. It seems like you know, like when you when you're in middle school and then you're trying <laughs> yeah. to des- destroy all the things of your childhood. Yeah, it's like, Actually, what if Mr. Rogers was fucked up, man? What if <laughs> Santa did cocaine? <laughs> With a hooker. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, Crumb, like, I watched that for the first time, like, less than 48 hours ago. And yeah, that movie is amazing. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to even put into words, both because of just who our Crumb is as a person and you know how incredible this documentary about him is. Yeah, and Zweigoff, we're gonna say his name like eight thousand ways. So just get used to it, everybody. Um, <laughs> Zweigoff, Zweigoff, Terry Z. He he was friends of Crumb, and it took them like several years to make the documentary, if I believe if that's mm-hmm. correct. And he was you know living on practically no money a month, going to therapy, and had chronic back pain while he made this movie. And it it was totally a labor of love, I would imagine. And it Crumb came out in '95, and if you like that movie, like for a documentary, that movie was huge. It didn't get any Academy Award nominations, which was kind of a big deal. <laughs> that <laughs> that uh that and Hoop Dreams both didn't get Academy Award nominations that year, and that kind of cha- that changed the way they did Oscars for documentaries. 
because so many people got pissed off. But I, I was watching Siskel and Ebert a lot at that time, and they, they were talking about Crumb like it seemed like every damn week, like for some other reason. And like it was just a huge, huge, huge documentary. And yeah, if you can see Crumb, if you, if you yeah, have. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is. It's a masterpiece. And like anyone else would have totally screwed up that documentary because he's, you know, he's such a, very specific type of subject for a documentary and it would be so easy for someone to just completely mess up how to accurately capture our crumb as a person yeah and i he 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 nails it and it is it that was his last documentary he never made another one um he's he's only made like what like six films or something he's a interesting filmmaker first if you count his first documentary uh louis bluey which is a shorter, it's only like an hour long, it's barely a feature. Um, he's only made five movies. He made, yeah, yeah Louis Bluey, Crumb, Ghost World, Bad Santa, and Art School Confidential, and he made a failed pilot for Amazon um, yeah, called I... Budding Prospects. I, it's about weed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he, I, I, I was looking into interviews with him, like trying to find out like what, why, like what's going on, and he says that he's in uh, a lane of filmmaking that you can't, people don't make anymore. So if you want to be one of the, he says, you can shoot a movie on your iPhone or you can be one of the 10 guys making a Marvel film. And that's it. Oh, interesting. He, he doesn't want to make quote unquote like indie films. He wants to make like medium budget, modest films, you know, that. Yeah, you know, maybe cost like twenty, thirty million to make and make make a profit, but no one's interested in that anymore, according to him. Now those movies exist. Mm-hmm. Um, he also says he's really bad at like meetings. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, well, and I I think like too. I mean, so many of those of those quote unquote indie films now. You know, it's like all the big you know Fox and whatever. They all have their indie branch, and so mm-hmm. it's like this. This kind of faux indie that exists now. Yeah, and indie really isn't the same as what it used to be. I mean, I feel like, like I grew. I don't know how old you are. I'm sorry if I. You don't have to. You know, I was born in 1979. And okay, yeah, we got yeah. about a decade difference. Okay, I imagine you're younger. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, growing up, you know, I was 11 years old when Slacker came out. And have you heard of Slacker? Nope. Slacker is Richard Linkletter's first film. That's the director of School of Rock and Before okay. Sunset and like all, you know. And that was, that and Sex, Lies, and Videotape were two of like, they they like, indie film exploded. Like it existed before that, but those movies really like, they lit the match and then Reservoir Dogs and Clerks just, you know, blew it up. Okay. And, Throughout the 90s, you couldn't, like, Sundance was such a big deal. And every year, you'd, you'd like, all these weird-ass indie films would come out. And it would, like, that, it was a great time to be a college student, like, in the, in the later half of the decade. Like, going to the theater and seeing Requiem for a Dream and then being sad. Yeah, you know, and I, I feel like, too, like, animation was kind of in the same period where, kind of, you know, it was the start of, like, Nicktoons and stuff where they were trying to go for more different stuff yeah yeah it was you know big variety and and you know a lot of that you know i don't let's not talk about he who shall not be named but miramax has (laughs) a lot to do with that you know and a lot of and other studios too so sony had sony pixel classics and 
all these things like really helped this stuff blossom. And I don't, for whatever reason, just a lot, well, a lot of people who were in the indie scene got mainstream and it kind of ended around, I would say the mid, ever since the mid 2000s, it hasn't been the same thing. And I really feel like Ghost World kind of like, if especially if you're looking at like very, how to put this, exceptionally like, you know, middle class white type story you know not, i don't mean that in a mm-hmm. bad way or whatever but just like very much suburban ennui indie films mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they really they really start with slackers slacker and it ends with this in my opinion those, those are those are bookends because slacker well slacker has no plot that's the, that's the entire thing of slacker slacker is just a movie in sorts of a plot as it just goes from character to character in all these nut jobs in austin it's a great movie um and this has obviously much more, you know, structured film, but they do deal with a lot of the same thing, themes of like kind of that Gen X feeling of not knowing what you want to do with your life and everything sucks except me. And, <laughs> you know, those those kind of feelings. So I, I at Clerks is the same way. You know, have you you've seen Clerks? I have seen the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it's good. It's not it is good. <laughs> As, different style of humor um yeah but i rec- clerks and i'm i am i imagine clerks has not aged particularly well but i am beyond objective with clerks that movie was like i was working in a video store when it came out so i was like i'm yeah beyond, i'm beyond biased but you know I-, I think i think if you're in the mindset knowing something didn't age well it's a little easier to digest yeah. It's not that like there aren't. I don't feel it's like particularly like problematic. It's just I think other movies. It's it's in, it's influenced culture so much that it's hard to come back to it. That makes sense in some yeah. ways. But like no, I I saw that movie a dozen times. I own it. I I have a copy of it on laserdisc signed by Kevin Smith. Like it that I met wow. at a comic book convention. Like no, I went deep. So <laughs> you know that's kind of my my style but like clerks is a movie about two dudes who don't know what to do with their life and ghost mm-hmm. world is about two women yep. who don't know what to do with their life and i feel like ghost world probably has a better you know i can't speak to this but i imagine this movie really appeals to women of that age a lot yeah i mean definitely one of the reasons i like it so much is because i relate to it who do you relate to the most in a movie like do, 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 do you I... see yourself in enid um a, mm, a little bit. I see. I definitely see myself more in Becky, though. I, <laughs> I am. I am kind of the like. I, I'm usually like in a groups of friends. I'm usually referred to as the mom because I'm very structured and kind of organized. And I'm also like anxious about not not doing stuff. And yeah, so I'm kind <laughs> of like the I. I I have to do something with my life. <laughs> yeah, in 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 the movie, uh, Becky is played by Scarlett Johansson. Uh, it's like one of her last movies as as, as a as technically a child. <laughs> she was <laughs> she was fifteen when they made it, and like it's a couple years before Lost in Translation. And then you know now she's like the biggest person in the freaking world. Um, oh my god, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny to watch. There's a the Criterion disc for this is fantastic, and it has interviews with her and Thora Birch. Thora Birch plays Enid. And Scarlett Johansson is, you know, very anxious to talk about the film, but it cuts to her and she's just ridiculously gorgeous. Like 
it, I don't mean that. I, I just mean she looks like she came straight from the red carpet to go talk about Ghost World. <laughs> when, when was the interview done? Relatively recently. Um, oh, really? Like within the past three or four years. And oh, wow. Like, so that's like, good for her because a lot of people don't go back to their early stuff, especially, especially actors. You know, they don't want to talk about it, you know. Yeah. But I feel like she's proud of this movie and she's proud of herself in it because she does a great job in it. But it is funny just to see her like look like she's wearing clothes that were made that day to fit her. <laughs> yeah, especially. And I'm not I mean, I'm not really sure how active Thor Birch is. Yeah. Thor Birch, you know, she had an interesting career. She's a child actress. She was mm-hmm. in, she's the kid in Patriot Games, and she was in Hocus Pocus. Okay. And Monkey Trouble, which was, a, it's a movie about a monkey. I never seen it, but I remember at the video <laughs> store, it was always there. And a couple other movies, and she has an interesting life, like both of her parents were in an adult film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And like not hot, not shy about it, like they're not ashamed of it, it's just what they who they were. And, you know, Thora Birch's big movie was American Beauty. Right. Uh, which has not aged well, um, <laughs> you know, mostly because of the cast. But you know, it's Kevin Spacey and stuff. But that was a huge movie too. That one Best Picture. Did you see American Beauty? I, yeah, I saw it. It's one of those movies that you don't really want to go back to anymore. Yeah, it, it's very late '90s in like how it feels about society. I think, and it's mm-hmm. it's so hard. like I can't even explain like why that. I mean. I can still watch movies with with Kevin Spacey. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's not the movie's fault. You know, like... Sure. Yeah, sure. So, like, I, I can still... I'm going to watch Baby Driver again and again and again. It's a great movie, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's something about that movie just feels exceedingly dated. Just yeah, in how I mean, it's, it's, it's almost... And it, well, as far as, like, dealing with relationships between young girls and older men, it's, like, the complete opposite feeling of this one where it's like really yeah. creepy and skeezy whereas this one's less so <laughs> <laughs> this yeah and yeah you're right <laughs> definitely that's a good point and how it deals with like homophobia and stuff it's very very basic and mm. stuff like that but yeah Thor Birch followed that up with Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> wow um, yeah, which <laughs> man that's that has a Marlon Wayans and Jeremy Irons and cast on a paycheck. And that is a garbage movie. But like she took a break from acting. She went to school, you know, and I feel like nowadays she mostly does kind of low key stuff. I think she's on Walking Dead. Okay. Um, you know, so she kind of like purposely walked away. It's not like it just didn't work yeah. out. Yeah. Like she, you know. she had enough of it, especially, I mean, I feel like, you know, with with people who are actors when child when they were children, it can be really difficult. And sometimes if they keep acting, it doesn't turn out well. So it's yeah. probably kind of nice to just be like, okay, I've done a lot of acting. I'm gonna try to have a more kind of standard life. Yes. And one thing I've learned doing this podcast is that being a woman in Hollywood just completely sucks. Oh and yeah, I can't even imagine getting decent, getting halfway decent roles, especially when you're like it's impossible when you're older and when you're like I would imagine I bet Thor Birch was offered to be like Mark Wahlberg's girlfriend in a dozen movies or something, you know? Like yeah, th- th- those type of roles, and it's it's a bummer, but yeah. she's great. She is amazing in this movie. Oh, like, she yeah, this is, it's it's just like 
yeah, she's so believable for this role, and she just really incredible. Yeah, I have I have known Enid's like she just becomes that character. Like her character in American Beauty is also a kind of a disaffected teenager, but very different in a very different yeah. way. And much she's I feel that character is much more a sur of themselves and in just a very different character. Enid is a mess. And yeah. just the way they portray it in not just her her performance, but the script also. It's it, I feel like it's not like my my issue with the film, and I, I do like it, but like I don't know how we're supposed to feel. I don't know how as being a member of the audience, we're supposed to feel about Enid. Mm-hmm. Like, because she's kind of a bastard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, but you know, it's it's she's obviously super insecure. Yeah, yeah, and and she's dealing with the fact that everybody else is changing and growing up around her, and she's not ready. Mm-hmm. Like, she still wants to mess around and mess with people, and you know, be a kid. And also, I mean, she, you know, she technically graduates but she has to take a remedial art class so she's still kind of stuck in her high school even though everyone you know her her best friend becky is you know she's trying to get a job and an apartment and move on to the next stage of her life whereas enid is still kind of stuck in her childhood yeah and she lives with you know they don't really talk about becky's home life at all with enid you see her dad, who is played by uh, Bob Balaban, which is a great name. Uh, <laughs> he's in a lot of stuff. He was in Close Encounters. He was in Waiting for Guffman. He was he was the MBZ executive who falls in love with Elaine on Seinfeld. <laughs> um, all kinds of stuff. He's he's such a great character because he is the meekest motherfucker. Yeah. Like, there, I feel like there are entire scenes where he doesn't finish a sentence. He's like, um. Uh, well, you c- <laughs> <laughs> and, and I I feel like Enid kind of takes advantage of that, and yeah. just you know because for whatever like there's no you never find out what what happened to the mom, um, right? Yeah, she's just not there, and but uh, Enid's dad strikes me as the kind of guy who would be a div- I don't think it's a widow. <laughs> I no, think. no, yeah. I yeah. Well, and especially if. He ended up with custody, mm-hmm. which is I. I also I grew up in a in a single dad household. Oh, it's, okay. It's um, it's yeah. So that's a, you know that's one of the re- ways I can also relate to Enid. But you have to imagine that it's it's difficult for for the father to end up with custody. So you have yeah. to imagine that the mom's probably not super stable. There was uh one of my f- favorite stories in my neighborhood. I will not name names. Was uh the a woman had an affair with this was my, my, my one friend's mom had an affair with another friend's dad, and everyone found out during a block party. Whoa! <laughs> Which is the most seventy sentence, and yeah. <laughs> like she ran off with that dude, and oh my goodness! And the dad was like this guy, you know, and yeah. that mom was a. I never. I don't remember her. I heard stories about her and my mom always said that a story she heard about this woman was this woman said, Oh, I love having babies, but kids. Uh. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of, kind of person I would think 
whenever I see a character like Bob, like like Enid's dad, it's like, oh no, maybe that's what happened. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's rough. But he, yeah, he's great. <laughs> And you mentioned the art school. I love the teacher. Yeah, she's, and I mean, I, you know, I went to art school and I've taken a lot of art classes. And so, again, that's another reason I relate to this film because I definitely have been in that position where, you know, especially when you're into animation or like, I mean, for my generation, it was like, like anime style. If, if you draw an anime style, there's a lot of teachers who like completely dismiss you, which is, which is like, there are kids who like use it as a crutch, but then you look at, you know, the current state of animation, which is like hugely influenced by anime. And so you just have these art teachers who are very kind of single-minded as to what kind of art they'll appreciate. And then just the kind of kids who are in art classes, um, like, there's in the in the scene there's like the one kid who like just draws this character from a video game the mutilator it's just like yeah and so yeah and so it's like all these all these students and then this the the girl who's like does some kind of really cruddy found art but then passes it off as very emotional and meaningful and it's just it's a very relatable art school experience yeah that that she has the tampon in a teacup and that is yeah. from i feel i think that is from art school confidential the comic I think. okay interesting yeah, not, yeah but yeah the the teacher is is a uh, uh, played by Ileana douglas douglas who was the wife in kate is who's the wife in goodfellas and that's how i know her she's in a lot of other movies but i know her from that and she is great like she just she had a vision for that character <laughs> Yeah, no, she she it is it is a very very good role and she plays it very well and very believable. Yeah. Like I was listening to the commentary track for this and she brought a lot to that character. Like the haircut was her idea. The, <laughs> the short film was her idea. Like having this this teacher is a failed performance artist, which is like that's a those are three words you don't want to hear together. Um <laughs> and um she she has see like her sitting on the table and this being all like, "Hey man, let's rap," you know, t- yeah. kind of. And yeah. you know, like you, I, I was never an quote unquote art student, but when I was in high school, like my main thing was art, and I was way into art. And in my high school, you could do this thing called a quest, which is I don't know why they call wow. it a quest. Wow, <laughs> you go to RP- you, RPG high school? <laughs> yeah, Art Quest by Sierra. No, and um, <laughs> oh man, that'd be great. Anyway, um. Where you could basically, it was like an independent, an independent study. All the art, all the like art-minded kids took advantage of that, and like so, I would have an art class, and then my quote-unquote art quest, which was basically just me in the art, art department by myself and like two other kids, and then my study hall was an art. <laughs> so oh, that's awesome! I had a three hours. My junior and senior years, like three hours in a row, were just art, and all my art teachers were awesome. Like my favorite teachers who 
you know, I was a big comic book geek, and I would like I would bring like Gen thirteen to class and copy the style, you know, and and yeah. and stuff like that. And they never they never discouraged that. They were like, well, that's good. Well, let's use that to do something original, you know, like they yeah yeah. They there's were, there's yeah, such ahead. a range of art teachers because I've had I've had really great ones who kind of recognize what your strengths are and how you can use these things you like to get better. And then there's ones who are very difficult, who are just like, well, no, you shouldn't do that. You should do this instead. Yeah. I, I remember my art teacher in, I think, in eight, no, ninth grade, we had to do one. It was like a, it's a very high school class. Like, you do your watercolor project, you do your pencils project, whatever. And I was terrible at watercolor. And he recognized that. And he's like, just try. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and I, the thing about the teacher in this is, like, they're obviously making fun of her in a movie. And as, like, this overly politically correct character. But, like, I would much rather have an art teacher like her than an asshole. Yeah, you know, she's, it's like, when she's first, you kind of go back and forth with her through the movie. Because when she shows up at first, you know, she just seems very, yeah, like you said, like, very political correctness and kind of that that very like oh everything needs to have really deep meaning and stuff like that but then like later in the movie she's actually like supportive of Enid and trying to help her get like a scholarship and stuff and so you know she yeah. she you kind of you 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 like warm up to her in the yeah, movie give- even though she's she's and kind of maybe not the best art teacher you'd want to have she's definitely not the worst she gives a shit and yeah. I had enough teachers in high school who did not give a shit that yeah. even if they're misguided and kind of dopey, like, hey, at least they're not leaving the class to go smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what my science teacher used to do. So, oh, boy. Oh, man. Yeah. You, oh, boy. That, I, oh, anyway. Um, yeah. So I like, I, I like her a lot. And, and I, I, that's another thing with like the movie. It's like the movie's kind of making fun of her. But I'm like, Hey, you know, see, she gives a shit. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, I think like you mentioned, the actress brings so much to the role. And if it had been someone else, you probably would have like totally hated that character. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she really does give it like the, she's a failure, but a charming one. (laughs) Yeah. I I love, she has this short film. She she shows the students, which is just like, do you remember the short movie? Yeah, I can't remember the quote exactly from it. Father, mirror, father, or some something like that. And this is black and white footage of like a bloody doll. And like <laughs> and then it cuts and then it has the movie has credits and it says like the credits on uh, on the like made possible through donations from like the Why Not Me Foundation <laughs> and <laughs> and then her parents. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like, kind of, that kind of sums her up. But yeah, another great performance. But we did skip over. Like, I feel next to next to Thora Birch, the best performance in the movie is Steve Buscemi. Yeah, this is his best. I I haven't seen every Buscemi film, but like, this is one of his best best performances. Yeah, it's 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 just the perfect role for him. Yeah, he plays Seymour, who in the comic book is like a one page character. Mm-hmm. In the comics, so they meet Seymour. Do you remember how they meet? To tell how do they how do they meet Seymour? 
In the film? Yeah, in the film. In the film. He so he'd put an ad in a paper because he had met he had seen some girl, some lady, and had like maybe briefly chatted with her. And so he put an ad in the paper because he wanted to meet her again. And so Enid and Becky respond to the ad, basically pretending to be her and tell him to uh, meet them in this this cheesy, like, what is it? A, is it a 50s diner? Yeah, a, a, a very pathetic 50s diner, yeah. yes. That that doesn't play the correct era of music. Yes, um, yes. It's kind of like steak yeah. and shake. <laughs> and so and so they they basically uh invite him there so he can be stood up. And they don't even like do it to actively tease him. They just do it to see this guy suffer. And then <laughs> then Yeah, they and they're also all, there's also just like this kind of curious that like this curiosity they have. They're just like, who is this person that put in this ad? Yeah, that used to be a whole section of the personals. It was called Missed Encounters or something. Mm-hmm. And you would, if you, man, because the personal ads, the pre-internet personal ads were the sad, but like those were the saddest ones because it was always <laughs> dudes <laughs> yeah. misreading women. It's like I saw you at the at the supermarket when I was buying my can of peas, and we had a connection. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, you smiled at me. That must mean you like me. Yes, and I am totally unique individual who would deserves love i'm a nice guy yeah <laughs> like that, oh god that, that but that was the energy you'd get from those 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 personals they were scary yeah. but he he does so they follow him to his house <laughs> and <laughs> then they go back later to look through his mail <laughs> and they he's having a yard sale and then they actually meet and enid kind of builds the this friendship with him when she buys a record from him and she loves the song so much. She comes back and then just kind of, yeah, it's such a strange relationship. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, you can even kind of tell, especially like for for Seymour, he like understands it's weird. He's like, why is this young girl like talking to me? I don't understand, especially because he's so he's so pathetic. He's such a loser. Yeah. He's just this, like, he's, you know, I mean, it's Steve Buscemi, right? He's not conventionally attractive. He's just this, he, he's just like this weirdo who likes old records. And Enid is, you know, she's, she's a weird outcast. And she, it's, it's like this, it's almost like a fascination for her, but then it becomes actual, like, enjoyment of their relationship. Yeah. She almost becomes friends with him first, like in an ironic way, almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like it's like this guy's so pathetic. She's having fun, just you know, kind of going into the de- depths of how pathetic he is. Because yeah. that's just kind of that's kind of her and like Becky to a lesser extent. Their whole thing is just kind of making fun of people like every especially in the first part of the movie they encounter like at their graduation and at the 50s diner they're just kind of continuously making fun of everybody they come across and so you know he's just another one of these pathetic people to make fun of but Enid inadvertently ends up bonding with him yeah because you know they're I mean they're both outcasts so it's not it's weird, but it also kind of works. Yeah, and 
I feel like Rebecca, she will tease someone, but then clam up. Like when Enid is interacting with Seymour for the first time, like Scott Johansson's so good in that scene, it's like biting her nails and hiding behind her face, like hiding her face behind her hands. Yeah, she likes to, to she likes to be like criti- critical from a distance, yeah. but she doesn't like to do it face to face with people. And Enid almost gets off on like poking the bear almost, you know. Yeah, like, and she and also she enjoys making Becky uncomfortable as well. Yes, that too, that too. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very like realistic, but still kind of unhealthy relationship. Like Yeah. I was definitely I would say in those relationships, I was I was Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And not because I was more responsible, because I was like, you know, I was anxious. <laughs> anxious especially when i was younger like especially early in high school before i grew like half a foot and i was even bigger like you know just really uncomfortable in my own body and yeah. like i would make fun of everyone behind their back but i would never have the like gumption to say something to someone's face yeah what are you, definitely crazy? <laughs> it- <laughs> because it's like the whole reason you're making fun of these people is you're insecure so of course face to face your insecurity is just going to act up even more yeah, and it is it is funny. I had a friend very similar to Enid who was much more in his in in their face about it. Like he would like he would like fake make out with guys on the bus. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't gay, but he would just do it just to piss just to freak out like the quote unquote jocks, you know, or and then later on he was the one, but just like Enid, when it came time to finish high school, he was not ready. He and we even had plans moving together. And it did same very similar situation. So like that also kind of surprised me with the movie. It's like, but man, <laughs> this kind of nails that whole feeling. Yeah, <laughs> Top it down. for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely relatable in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, the the comic book is drastically different in that in the movie, like like I said, Steve Buscemi's character in the comic book, I I don't even think he has a name, and he's only in one <laughs> scene. And but they. He's a much bigger character in the book, in the movie, and in the movie, he's basically Terry Zweigoff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like Ebert, 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 Ebert loved this movie. Ebert gave it four stars, and wow. in his reviewers, like, I know people like Seymour. His name is Terry Zweigoff. <laughs> he's the director <laughs> of the movie because Terry Zweigoff is a lot like Crumb. He's like, you know, a meekest guy who collects seventy eights. Yeah. Yeah. And. So it's kind of a self-insertion character. And when you look at it like that, then the, I don't know, does does that make the relationship creepier or not? Like, <laughs> Maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's it's been a, like, I haven't read the comic for probably over a decade, so I don't really remember it. But I not, I'm not a huge Daniel Klaus fan. Like, that's nothing against him. It's just my personal taste. I think his stuff yeah. is a little too depressing for me like the the film is quite even though it's you know it's a coming of age film it's quite cheery and it's funny and it's colorful his his comics i feel like are a little drier and more depressing (laughs) yeah i i have to wonder how much uh zweigoff brought to the movie in in kind of upping it a bit making it less of a downer because it's yeah. not, it's not a happy movie, but it's not like, it's kind of like The Graduate, mm-hmm. in that it's not like the in, like The Graduate is not a happy movie, but it's not depressing. 
Right. I mean, I think it's it's good at capturing that feeling of of that time of life where you're kind of just doing stuff and you're not super worried about consequences, but then the consequences happen and it's kind of heavy. So it's kind of this balance between like, oh, you know, we're just kind of stupid kids doing whatever, but also like the that weight of like, okay, things are kind of more serious now. Yeah. And then it's it's put on this backdrop of kind of this nightmare world in the movie <laughs> of which is definitely what Zweigoff brought to the movie. This yeah. this hate, this and that's another another kind of not a conflict I have with the film is just this movie is nihilistic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Almost. Almost. Like I was just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to uh, with Henry Gilbert about a movie called Full Contact, which is a, a Hong Kong accent movie. And when you read reviews, people say it's nihilistic. And it's really not. It's just really, really violent and gross. It doesn't have like the good guys win, the bad guys die. You know, it's not a movie about how futile everything is. This movie does not like, in my opinion, this movie goes out of its way almost to make the world look as terrible as possible. That's yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I if I feel that quite as strongly as you do. Okay. Well, like his let me read a quote. I found I was digging in some interviews of Zweigoff. And this is this is him on the movie. Like my interest was telling this story in a exaggerated, nightmarish, almost <laughs> film noir version of the world. A social and critical satire depicting America's fabric woven from falsehoods and lies, hypocrisies, and scams. It's what happens in a capitalist society. Wow. And like <laughs> there are brands everywhere in the movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. like they they go out of their way to shoot like these really ugly streets, just like with branding top to bottom. And every interview I read with him, like he seems like a nice guy, but he's very much over it. Like mm-hmm. he hates pop music. He said this tasteless slop. He's like, why do people like Marvel movies? Are they drinking too much lead? (laughs) Like, he's very much... And that was the kind of my problem with the movie. It's like, this movie almost, to my opinion, it is almost endorsing Enid's view to a Mm -hmm. certain extent. And and again, like, I still, I love the movie. I've watched it twice. Uh But... It is. It just made me feel so conflicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, I can see that, but I guess there's also like Enid's fascination with Seymour, which ends up being very genuine. Yeah. I think. I think brings a bit of positivity to it because you do see that even though Enid is very jaded and kind of over everything, she still manages to find people and things that you know she enjoys on a you know, an actual level. Yeah. And that gives the movie heart. Definitely. You know, but like, do you think the movie would be better if it didn't have stuff like Doug? (laughs) Doug is the describe. Do you remember remember Doug, the character? Uh, is which one is he? He's the guy in the convenience store, not Brad Renfro, not, not Josh, but the 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 one with the, with the nunchucks. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> he it's such he's so ridiculous honestly I think but the fact that he comes back later <laughs> I think really brought it cuz if he was just in that first scene where he's just causing a ruckus it'd just yeah. be like whatever but the fact that he comes back later 
when when Seymour is there and yeah. like res- restrains Seymour. I think I don't know. I think it adds a a comedic kind of just ridiculousness to it. He's another part that I'm torn on because on one end he is hilarious and <laughs> him he, fighting with the nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely seems out of place. Yeah, but he, he also seems, seems like, like a different movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's it's like he feels like a I don't know, like a Napoleon Dynamite character or something. Yeah, that's a good yeah. That's that's a perfect comparison. Yeah, I feel like he belongs in in, in that kind of movie. That dude the actor is a guy named Dave Sheridan. He was the creator of... Do you know what Buzzkill is? Nope. Buzzkill was one of MTV's first reality shows. It was a prank show. Oh. That was incredibly mean-spirited. Like They did one where they convinced uh, Whitney Houston that he was Versace. Oh. Yeah, and like kind of teased her and like they did one where they made it they made these guys they made these spring breakers think like they were getting kidnapped like it was a dark show Yikes. i loved it when i was 12 but i don't <laughs> think it's aged well so and like he was he's a weird guy he brought a lot of this like eliana douglas like a lot of that character is him he showed up with those tan lines and that hair <laughs> It's so, just him. <laughs> but it does feel like it feels like a character from a prank show. Almost. Yeah, he he's he's a bit too cuz this this movie even though, you know, obviously it's it's exaggerated, it's mm-hmm. relatively down to earth, but he is definitely <laughs> kind of like I don't know, like a supernatural element. He's just way <laughs> he's like way too cartoony. He he almost feels like what someone like he feels like what Crumb feels like normal people are like. <laughs> like when you when you watch Crumb and he's just like all oh, these people with the hip hop, oh god! Like <laughs> I feel that's what him and Zweigoff feel like, quote unquote, normal people are like. <laughs> and there are other little things like that, like when Enid and Rebecca are having an argument about apartments, you see an extra walk by who mm-hmm. is pregnant, <laughs> smoking a cigarette and drinking. Wow! <laughs> it's just like. I feel like the movie just wants the wants you to hate the world as maybe it's like I just I'm having an epiphany. Maybe the mo- I feel maybe by making it look that bad, it makes you understand Ina's point of view better. Yeah. I mean I think it, you know, the movie is kind of told from her point of view. Yeah. You, yeah you're you're following Enid for the majority of the film. Yeah. Not like the comic book. The comic book is much more half and half. Not half and half, but Enid's, there's no Seymour. So it's much more just about their relationship. And the conflict is a little bit different in the comic. In the comic, like, uh, Enid wants to go to college, Mm -hmm. kind of, and Becky wants to go with her. Oh, interesting. Because she she wants to live in an apartment with her in another city. And in the comic, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. Enid doesn't want to go to college as much as Enid wants to go somewhere and be somebody else. And hey, as someone who moved to Japan when they were 35 years old, <laughs> <laughs> relatable. Um, and, and in a movie, I feel like like that's definitely part of it. Like That's a fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Enid's fantasy is she wants to just get up somewhere and just leave and just be somebody else. And I feel it's because she's just so uncomfortable in her own skin. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think that's a common high school end of high school thing too. Like you finished high school, you it's time to be somebody else, maybe. Yeah. 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 Was that how it was for you when you when you were finishing up school? Did you want to get the hell out of town? Or? Yeah. And well, I, I graduated high school like half a year early, too. Oh, wow. So I was just like, I was so done. I was like, I don't like, why would I even go to my graduation? I am already done with this. I never went to a single high school dance. I was like not into high school. I graduated. I collected my diploma whenever it was ready. And I was just like, I was just ready to, to do yeah. something else. Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I was, uh, I never went to a high school dance. I had like five friends. Yeah, I was, I was ready to get the hell out of Dodge. And I was just spent most of my high school, this is pre-internet for me, Mm -hmm. high school. It's watching movies over and over again, reading comic books and just hating everybody. So, yeah. Like I had the thing too, where it's like, I was, I was like nerdy and I had my nerdy friends, but they also, like partied and stuff like that like normal high schoolers and i didn't like i didn't drink or anything so i was like double outcast so it was like you know it was like this kind of i can only relate to people on a certain level but then beyond that then i'm kind of on my own yeah well i mean i Add all that with me and being height and and being closeted, like yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, not a fun time, especially in Ohio. But did you see this movie when you were in high school? No, I. Uh, you know, I probably saw it not too long after I graduated. I because I got into kind of a little comic book phase when I was about seventeen or eighteen. So I probably saw this, you know, not not too long after I had graduated. Yeah, I would love to what what people like I wonder if especially like someone like Enid had seen this movie in high school, like what their view of it would have been, you know? Yeah. Like I would have I almost feel like if I had seen this movie in high school, it would have been bad for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, you see, everyone does suck. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I can't I can't really remember what my mindset was when I saw it. I, you know, like I said, if I had seen this in high school, I think it would have maybe I would have I would have identified with it too much because mm-hmm. it's just like I hate everyone, she hates everybody, like yeah, rah rah, f the world. But do you? What do you feel like? This is kind of, I mean, kind of a big question. But do, what do you think? It's a coming of age movie, kind of like you said. What's the point? Do you think the movie is trying to say that someone like Enid has to change or? Like, what do you, what do you think it's trying to say there? I don't necessarily. Let's see. Um, Hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily that she has to change, but that it's just kind of what happens, and you know, you 
like you grow up and it's not necessarily some people for some people like Becky it's a very direct effort where it's like okay time to grow up time to get a job time to get apartment whereas for Enid it's a little more gradual where she just kind of has to go through different things and then she kind of realizes okay I got it like I you know she just has these different experiences where they those cause her to grow up it's not uh effort on her part but it's just something that happens because that's just what happens yeah in the commentary track I forgot who says it there's an interesting point that they they don't call it a coming of age film. They call it an anti coming of age film almost <laughs> because she doesn't want to come of age. Yeah. Almost, you know. Yeah, and and I think well, and I think it's also I I like when films like this have adult characters who are also not very solid because you know that's how adulthood is like you when you're a kid you're like oh i'm gonna once i'm grown up everything will make sense and i'll be fine but then when you're an actual actual adult you're like oh i'm still (laughs) confused and uneasy as i always was and so i think that's more of enid's experience is she's she's gonna become an adult and she'll handle it but it's gonna kind of be a different path for her where do you think like i don't want to talk the ending of this movie is very ambiguous ambiguous yeah. like and parts of it i don't like i i, I kind of feel bad with what, what they do to see more in that last scene it's like that's almost like sticking the knife and breaking it in <laughs> <with that. laughs> but like what do you think happens to like where is it's it's 2021 enid is pushing 40 what, what happened to enid <laughs> what do you I, think I think she is probably I don't I don't know. You know, she's has friends and she's even though she's she's, you know, disgruntled and whatever, she's still likable. Mm-hmm. And she has a sense of responsibility that I think she can overcome. So I think she just grows up into probably a similar adult like we are where we manage and in our own ways but we're still kind of off the wall but we you know we are able to make relationships and have friends and have jobs while still maintaining our quirks i bet she has an awesome twitter account like i bet it's really <laughs> I, was, good. I was thinking it's gonna be like <laughs> oh she probably started a podcast yeah, yeah. See, they, they they joke on they joke on the commentary. It's like she probably started a blog about Dario Argento films or some yeah kind of like, like I, super niche thing. And I think you know, knowing the future that we're in now, it's like it's it's become accommodating to people with you know interests that were once super obscure, but now you know nothing's obscure anymore yeah that's a fantastic point because in the in the world this movie came out in 01 and the internet existed in 01 but it does not exist it is not in this movie yeah the only the only kind little bit you get of it is the the man who comes into the coffee shop <laughs> becky works in who is i like i looked him up because it said like yeah. it, he in the credits he's listed as like a special guest or whatever it's and it's it's a man played by bruce glover who all i know is that he's crispin glover's dad 
Yeah, yeah, Bruce, and yo, Bruce Glover is also a weird motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but but he like he plays this weird guy who comes in a wheelchair and who Becky says does not even need the wheelchair, but he's just lazy. And he yeah. comes in because the coffee shop has like a trivia question every day. So yeah. he comes in with his his wheelchair and his laptop, and he looks it up on his laptop and gives the answer. Because he's, you know, he's the smart guy who knows how to use a computer. Yeah. And I love that scene also because he's clearly just typing in a web browser. In, 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 in like a, in a, a word, word, par- word document, word. yeah. It's like, it's the last movie where you could do that. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's just like, like, I don't know. It's like when you're trying to rationalize it in your head, you're like, oh, does he like type it and then like paste it into Google or something? <laughs> but yeah, that is... That is the only internet in the movie, and I, I feel like this these characters can't exist like this now. Like now, yeah. they would have some community, good or bad, you know. Oh, totally. To e- either they would find some like you know, I don't know what the kids are on these days. I don't know like TikTok thing, mm-hmm. and they would or Twitter, and they would you know have their little click there, or they would go the other way and get way into like 4chan, like the dark part of like Reddit. <laughs> You know, like so it's the it's the moment you choose your light or dark path. Yes, yes. Am I gonna be on Etsy or Four Chan? Um, <laughs> and same thing of Seymour. Like, let's be real. If I meet a dude around my age who's single, straight, and way into like seventy eights, I'm I'm like, well, uh, you got any red caps in your garage or uh, <laughs> <laughs> like seventy? Do you know any seventy eight people? Uh, have, do you have, have you ever had have you ever met any seventy eight people? Nope, I, I I don't know anything about records. I'm just oh. like I'm just like Enid when she goes in and she doesn't know the difference between the types of records. Well, yeah, well, um, to, for people at home, seventy eights are like old records, like from the thirties, and they're called seventy eights because they spin at seventy eight RPM. Records now are thirty three or forty five, and like. I've met 78 people. They're weird. <laughs> like, like they're the, yeah, they're the kind of people, like, especially now, like if you're my, if you're under the age of 50 and you're way into 78, that's a, that's a choice you made. <laughs> so, like I'm a big record geek. Like I have like 1500 records, you know, Thank goodness. it's a problem. And like, I obviously see myself in Seymour, um, to a certain extent. And like, I'm a, you know, I'm a, Especially, I'm a weird, you know, not mainstream stuff. But like, you know, I, I that that scene when he is talking about, well, yeah, I have the original pressing of this. There's only like five of them, and and mm. uh, I felt I felt seen in a bad way. Like, <laughs> like is, this is what happens when me and Jeremy talk about prog rock. <laughs> is this, just the feeling people get. Oh no! Yeah, it's like one of those things that you're really proud of, but nobody else cares about. Oh god! Like yo, ask me anything about Madonna singles. Like I, I could, I am that character, but just <laughs> with different music. So like, I felt bad. <laughs> just like oh no! Now I know how my boyfriend humors me when I'm talking about Jethro Tall in the 80s nobody else cares about that I'm the guy but
you interpret the last scene of the movie? Um, yeah, it was interesting because I, I think for the longest time, I just didn't really think about it. I was just like, oh, it's just this kind of surrealist ending. Yeah. Um, and then I recently, like when I was just kind of like reading you know the wiki for preparation i saw yeah. that that apparently a bunch of people interpreted as suicide even though it's not meant to yeah. be that like it said daniel Klaus was like you're out of your mind what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. um i so i you know there's the um norman who's this character that you see a couple times throughout the movie he is sitting at this bus stop waiting for a bus that apparently has been canceled for years yeah and but he acts as a constant where everything around Enid is changing and everyone's growing up and moving on but Norman is there and he is the constant he is always there waiting for this bus that doesn't come but then eventually the bus does come and he leaves and then shortly after at the end of the film we see Enid also catch the same bus yeah um, and there's nothing about where she's going or what she's doing but I, I it's just kind of symbolic that Enid is kind of finally ready to change along with everything else yeah that's that's how i read it i don't read it as suicide like yeah I, that's a weird i like she's i mean there's nothing about enid that you know implies that she's she's suicidal cuz she's not you know she's not doesn't come off as depressed or because well, you know or at least i mean you know what you know obviously not depression clinically is, depressed yeah, yeah right depression yeah. is obviously something that's very complex and can you know be shown in a lot of different ways but there's you know it's nothing that's ever gone into with her character she yeah. she's you know active and interested in things and she always just kind of you know she it just it just doesn't really make sense with her character in my mind yeah, I, I see it. You know, if you don't want to read it as literal, because I don't think you can, because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, it is kind of her, like, finally, so, like, giving in to change. Yeah. And Yeah, and it's and I guess the, the thing is whether you see that as a negative or a positive thing. Is it like, oh, she, like you said, gives in to change. She She has to change in order to fit in with the rest of society, or whether it's just kind of this natural thing that she is finally, you know, ready for. I feel it's a positive because like, you can't live your life like that. You can't be that deliberately outside because you, you go crazy. And I, I I I mean, she's not, she's not happy being that outside. Right. Like it's difficult for her. And so it's it's just kind it is. I mean, you know, even though they say it's an anti coming of age movie, it feels like a coming of age movie yeah, because think, at the end of it, you know, she's ready to to move on. Yeah, and I feel like someone like her, like there's 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 the bullshit like when when people say I'm depressed and someone's like, well, being happy is a conscious choice. Like, well, no, it's not. Fuck you. <laughs> but yeah. there is there is like if you if you want to be miserable, you will be like. Yeah. To a certain extent, like there's the Maxine character played by Terry Gar, <laughs> which is weird um, because like she doesn't do much in the movie. But Maxine is her 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 ex stepmom who's coming back in the picture, right? Yeah. And 
like why do we have why does we don't know why she hates her like yeah and i think it's i think it's probably because she's normal <laughs> yeah like, and she, it's like there's yeah. nothing she's she's just she's very i don't know she just seems like this 80s kind of late 80s <laughs> early 90s with her big curly hair and her big glasses yeah and she's just nice office job there's nothing particularly you know upsetting about her and i and yeah. that's probably but it's but she's normal she's a normal person in society which is everything that enid is against yeah and i feel like if enid kind of gets out of that the world sucks mentality then she might be able to realize well maybe, maybe i don't have to like maxine but she's not the devil like she's yeah. just another person and like i had that not with my family but like at a certain extent as long as they're not bastards like at a certain <laughs> you have to just kind of accept people as people yeah and it's and it's just, this yeah. it's this thing where it's like you know some people make it their character to be different and mm-hmm. so when and when you're that then it means you have to reject everything else even yeah. even if it's not necessarily offensive to you but if it goes if if you want to continue this idea of being different from everyone else it means you have to continuously reject everything yeah and and that gets hard I yeah think. yeah yeah i do I, I said briefly but since we're kind of in a spoiler part i i, I do kind of feel bad about seymour's last scene like mm-hmm. he has that therapy session yeah <laughs> And that therapist hates him. Yeah, yeah, that's awful. <laughs> it's so like, what did he do <laughs> to deserve yeah. to deserve yeah, this? That's, that's understandable. It's definitely not you. You wish he got something a little nicer. Yeah, I, and he's obviously living back home with his mom, and like, I, I feel like the movie. I on like without that, you don't need to know. You don't need. I feel like leaving Seymour's fate a little more open would be better yeah and just like so you because i am in my head i imagine he'll be okay you know but then you saw this scene of like he's lost his job he's lost his apartment he's in therapy with the therapist who wants to literally murder him (laughs) (laughs) it's like with a mom you can't stand it's like oh shit that's too bad (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's definitely one of the most depressing parts of the film (laughs) Yes, yes, but I think we'll we'll wrap up there. I I really appreciate this talk. I I I think bouncing this some of my the aspects of the film I liked less with somebody else helped me understand the movie more. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's it's definitely something that you know I think it hits differently every time you watch it, and you know it's been probably ten years or so since I saw it for the first time, and. I I still love it as much as I did before, but it also like I interpret things a little differently. Yeah, it's the kind of movie as you get older, it's worth revisiting. Like especially if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie since you were in high school, watch it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Because it's like when I saw it the first time, I was closer to Enid's age, mm-hmm. and now you know I'm like ten years removed, and so I can look back on it and be like, okay. I kind of, you know, I understand this part of my life more and what comes after. Yeah. Are there are there any movies similar to it that you'd want to that you think would be good? Like I the graduate's kind of similar. Other than like what do you like what <laughs> some people recommend it, like Welcome to the Dollhouse? 
I see. I, I don't. I don't know movies. I am like. I have not seen any movies. Um, <laughs> so you know, whatever you say, I'll just go with that. Well, I will say, don't watch Rockin' to the Dollhouse to anybody okay. who's because that movie. I I am. I kind of got out of indie films at this time because I felt they got they got too deliberately edgy. And Welcome to the Dollhouse is a gross, gross movie. It's kind of like 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 the ones people recommend are that and kids. Do not see kids. Like, <laughs> no. Um, Virgin Suicides, maybe. And the but yeah, don't 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 listen to IMDb. Do not watch Welcome to the Dollhouse of Kids if you like this movie. Um, yeah, watch shit. Watch I don't know. I would watch American Beauty before I watch those. <laughs> but, <laughs> Anyway, again, Maddie, thanks for joining me to talk about this. That was a lot of fun. Um, do you want to say where on the internet people can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Oh That's Raspberry. That's the letter O, that's Raspberry. Uh, I just post art and stuff about games and cartoons and pictures of my cats. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very charming account. It's very it's a <laughs> nice, nice uh, breath of kawaii. <laughs> um, do you still do the so, so you don't do yeah you're not on the one piece podcast you just do the art for it right not usually yeah i usually just do the i do the art for that every week and yeah and yeah i've, I've been on a handful of podcasts like i said on my twitter bio i have a link to kind of everything i've done so it has all the podcasts i've been on it also has the um i've done a couple of uh records for record art for konami um oh I've, oh yeah, yeah i forgot about that legend of the mystical ninja and esper <laughs> yeah. dream and i have some more in the works so if you're into that you can check those out i just saw your legend of mystical ninja legend of mystical ninja cover at a record store in japan wow so that internationally known that that's cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's like my dream. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, that makes me feel like a real artist. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it's pretty rad. But anyway, uh, as always, people can find me online at lostturntable.com and on Twitter at lostturntable and on my other podcast, where hosted by Jeremy Parrish and featuring Elliot Long, where we talk about progressive rock music. So if you want to hear me be like Seymour, uh, that is <laughs> Alex, called Alexander's Ragtime Band. Don't ask. You can check that out if you want. But anyway, that's another episode of Cinema Olivia. Thanks again for listening, and I'll have another one for you next week. Because I hate the lady